Happy 10-year anniversary, Harvest. That's kind of a fun thing to say, isn't it? Yeah. Glad some of us are pumped about that. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Joshua 1. And uh, just so thankful um, just for all of you to be here. Thankful for the opportunity to uh, have this celebration service in person. And um, I've kind of been doing what you always do when you have a um, big anniversary or big celebration in your life, like whether it's a birthday or whether it's a marriage anniversary. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I usually spend some time going back and I think about, man, what's changed since the, what, whatever happened that we're celebrating has happened. So, you know, I look back on 10 years ago and man, my life was so different in so many ways. I, I remember 10 years ago, um, I had never seen my children before. 10 years ago, my wife was very, 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 very pregnant with our twin girls. And um, I, you know, in so many ways and in so many just, I didn't know what being a dad was like. And I think now I've got four kids. The youngest is turning six on New Year's Eve. And it's like so much of the last decade has been wrapped up in me being a dad. And that was something that wasn't present in my life 10 years ago, or at least not like it is today. And that was such a, um, so different. Uh, here's a big difference. 10 years ago, um, I was 24 years old and I was the young pastor who was just a couple years out of college and I was cool. And that felt really, really nice. Like when I went to hang out with the high schoolers, they thought I was cool. When I was hanging out with the 20s, you know, students, they were my age. Like I was the cool young pastor. 10 years later, I am not cool. And like I'm, I'm becoming okay with that. Like when I go hang out at youth group, the high schoolers are no longer like, oh, cool, Cal's here. It's like, who's this old guy and why is he here? Give me Dylan and give me Taylor. You can't relate to me anymore. Um, even the 20s are like, Cal, you know, you're, you're getting a little too old for us. And it's like, I'm like six years older than some of you guys. Give me a break. The one thing that's wild to me, though, is as I'm getting less and less cool, somehow the 20s kids, they're loving Pastor Chris more and more and more as he gets older. And that is endlessly frustrating for me. But it's like he's getting cooler with age. So I've got to figure out what he's doing um, because I don't have it. Uh, Ten years ago... I was a youth pastor over a youth group that had never met before and technically didn't even exist. Today, I am leading a church that has five services over two locations. And even as I look out in this room, there's so many faces that I see that it's like 10 years ago, I didn't know you. And life has changed so much. So here's what we thought we would do this morning that I'm really excited for. We thought a fun way to celebrate our 10 year is we're going to go and look at the text that we preached on our first ever service together. And 10 years ago, uh, this weekend, my dad opened the Bible for the first time as a harvest pastor leading this church, and we were in Joshua 1. And uh, as I studied this passage this week, there's so much in here for us that I think is going to be a blessing to our heart. So let's jump right into the text. I'm going to read Joshua 1, starting at verse 1 through 9. Follow along as I read. Here's what it says. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses is assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From all of the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." 
No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all according to the law of Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay, so here's what's going on. Moses, the leader of the nation of Israel, the guy who led them out of slavery in Egypt and oversaw their journey of 40 plus years in the wilderness, has just died. Israel's without a leader. God is initiating the succession plan and he is installing Joshua as the new leader. And what we're going to see from this text where God is encouraging Joshua's heart, we're going to see three principles that were true for Joshua thousands of years ago, that were definitely true of us 10 years ago as we launched this church, and are even more true for us today. And here's the first one. It's this. First principle for today is this, is that following God is scary. First thing I want you to see from this text is that following God is scary. Joshua is leading a nation who had no army, who wasn't militarily trained. He is leading them into a country that is filled with strongholds, with fortified cities, and great armies. And he is going to lead this nation into a, a period of war over and over and over again. It was objectively terrifying, and Joshua is fearful. Look at verse 6. God says, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. And look down again at verse 9. He says it again. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. God has to encourage Joshua's heart by saying the same things three times. Hey, it's scary. Be strong. Be courageous. I get that you're scared. I need you to be strong, and I need you to be courageous. You know, it's funny, if you could take a time machine and take us back 10 years, back to the Trillium where we were having our first service, and if you were to ask me, and you're like, hey, Cal, how are you feeling right now? I would have said something like, well, I'm excited, and I'm ready to go, and I'm, you know, ready to see what the Lord is going to do. And if I would have given you a more honest answer in that moment, I would have told you, I'm terrified. We had no idea if planting a church was going to work. And I just moved my family across the country from Orlando where I was working at a church that was growing and we were about to move into a new building and it was a good job and there was stability and we were going into sort of this great unknown. And like, we didn't know, is this gonna like fail after three months or six months? And am I gonna be back at square one? And is this gonna work? Is anyone gonna show up? What's going to happen? What's youth group going to look like? Like, it was terrifying. And 10 years from that day, if you were to ask me, what's it like to be pastor at Harvest Spring Lake, and I were to give you my most honest answer, I would say that most of the time, it's still terrifying. It's still scary. Like 2020 is a year that will test anyone's resolve, isn't it? 
We've had to navigate a worldwide pandemic. I don't know if you've paid attention, but things um, are a little tense politically, I would say, in our country. Um, and to be honest, you all terrify me. Like there's a weight of leading a church our size where it's like, I don't want to mess things up. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to make decisions that might be wrong or not where the Lord would have us lead. That's terrifying. I think of the staff and all of the incredible people that I get to work with that have committed their lives to serving you in this ministry. And there's a weight to um, make sure that they can have a job and make sure that they're provided for. And, and there's a weight in leading that team. Like, Here's what I'm saying. The fear never goes away. Now look here, I love this job. I love the privilege of being your pastor. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but that doesn't mean it's not scary. The fear doesn't go away. And this is why following God is scary. Couple reasons, here's the first. The first is because we live in a broken world where bad things happen. You know, I've just been on the phone this week with friends whose uh, family members are having really, really scary um, health diagnosis. Some are hospitalized because of the virus that's going around. Some have gotten some cancer scares. And we live in a fallen world where bad things happen. People get sick. People die. Like, it, it, it's scary living in a broken world. The Bible says that all of creation longs for the returning of its king to make everything right because our world is broken. And that means there's always a certain level of fear of the unknown and of the future. But here's another reason why following God is scary. Because as Christians to follow Christ, that means we are yielding over all control of our life to Jesus, our king. Jesus himself says, listen, you don't get to have two masters. You can't love God and money. Like if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. If I'm going to be your Lord, I am Lord of everything or I am Lord of nothing over your life. Okay, so here's what that means. That means if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, my money and my finances, I don't own them. Jesus does. And Jesus has laid out in his word very clear what it looks like to be a generous person and to honor the Lord with what he's given me because it's his, it's not mine. And by the way, that's a little scary. If I am a follower of Christ, my marriage, it's not about me. It's about the Lord and how I treat my wife and how I love her and how I pursue her and how I care for her. It's not about me and what I feel at all. It's about the Lord. My body is not my own. I don't own myself. I'm in control of nothing. I have yielded control to Jesus Christ. My relationships, they're the Lord's. Like, let's get really, really practical. Isn't forgiving someone really scary? Right, because when I forgive someone, I'm allowing them back in and I'm getting the opportunity to be hurt again. And not only to be hurt again, but to look stupid for allowing it to happen more than once. It's scary. But church, as a people who have been forgiven much, we're called by our king to forgive much. So I have to forgive. I'm yielding control. My kids are not my own. I need to, to wrestle with and accept the reality that God created my kids. He loves my kids more than I love them. And the best thing for them and the thing that might give God most glory might be a very different future for them than I would choose or I would prefer. But they're the Lord's. I, they're not mine to control. My future, whatever's going to happen with me, 
it's the Lord. So like, look here, you don't get to be a Christian and live with a comfortable sense of autonomy. It's not reality. Our future, everything, our lives is the Lord's. And there's a certain level of fear with that. So here's, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is in Joshua 1, God makes these promises to Joshua. He's like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Everywhere your foot treads, you're going to conquer. You're going to have great success. I'm going to keep my promises to Moses. Like God is promising Joshua success, and yet Joshua is still afraid. And by the way, hasn't God made incredible promises to us? That he will never leave us or forsake us. That we are his for eternity. That our eternal uh, destiny is secured in Jesus Christ. That, that he is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That no matter what we're going through, we're not alone. And by the way, life can still be scary. So here's the good news. If you come in here this morning and you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed and fearful, um, you'd be a little bit crazy if you never felt that fear. The question is, is what do you do with it? Do you allow it to control you and run your life? Or do you offload it on the one who is in control and can carry those things? Following God is scary. Second principle that's so clear in this text is this, is that our confidence is rooted in God's faithfulness. Our confidence is rooted in God's faithfulness. So Joshua is facing a scary call, but imagine everything that Joshua had experienced up to this point. Right? He had been in Egypt when God miraculously sent the plagues down and freed the people from Egypt. He had been in the wilderness when God was leading his people by a pillar of cloud during the day and fire at night. He had seen God miraculously rain down manna from heaven to provide food. He'd seen God create rivers out of rocks to, to uh, make his people have water in the desert. He'd seen the Red Sea parted. And Israel walked through safely over and over and over again. He had witnessed the faithfulness and power and the relentless pursuit of a loving God. And so he could draw confidence for a scary present from the fact that God has been with him and that he had been faithful. And church, listen, the same is true for us. Over and over and over again over the past 10 years, we have seen God move and be faithful to this church. Uh, just this Wednesday, I had to uh, run into the office and I had to shoot a video for our small group leaders. I just had to send them a quick announcement update. And uh, the guy who does all of our video work, his name's Lucas Vanderlandi. And so if you liked what you saw this morning, that's um, primarily because of Lucas. He did just such an incredible job putting that together. So I went into Lucas's office. He filmed the video. And afterwards, we just started chatting. And, you know, the elections were the night before, so we were talking about that a little bit and talking about life and just kind of catching up. And, and Lucas kind of, you know, made the comment offhand. He's like, yeah, back in 2013, when I first started coming to this church, I wasn't saved. And it was like, that was something that I knew, but I had forgotten. And all of a sudden this light bulb turned on and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember you back in 2013. You were a disaster. But it feels like so long ago, I, I didn't even remember it. And I remember him coming and just being a kid in his 20s who was lost. And then to see God save him, to surround him with community, with other believers in Christ, to encourage him and disciple him. And then he got um, married to a young girl who was part of our youth group, who, who I knew super well. And now he's a dad, and now he is using his um, significant gifts to help bless our church. It's like, man, hasn't God been good? Hasn't God been faithful? 
And listen, there are hundreds or maybe even thousands of stories just like that from our church. I remember the first time I met Pastor Nate Buchanan. Um, he had uh, signed up for his small groups, he and his wife, and they had been placed in our small group. So it was like a Wednesday or Thursday, and he came to my house, and it was very, very apparent that he hadn't realized that he was going to be in the pastor's small group. So he opened the door, and we met eyes, and I could see just terror in his face, and him thinking like, all right, what do I need to do to get out of this situation right now that this is way too intense? And Nate would tell you when he came to our church, he wasn't a believer. He, his marriage was in a rough place. He was dealing with just a lot of um, heartache and pain and, and issues coming out of serving as a veteran in Iraq and Afghanistan. Like, it, it, he was dealing with a lot. And he became close friends with Pastor Eric, who discipled him. He got saved. He started serving in our 20s ministry. And Nate was one of those guys that whenever anyone was around him, the Lord was moving. And now we brought him on staff. He's leading our 20s ministry now, and he's preaching at this church like, what an incredible story. I remember the first time I met Pastor Carlos, who oversees all of our volunteers. I, I remember, um, if you don't know Carlos, Carlos is Colombian. And the first time he came, we were um, in, in this room, and he was sitting in the front row. And I noticed while I was preaching, I'm like, wow, that guy doesn't look Dutch. He kind of sticks out. I haven't seen him before. And he had this cool soccer jacket on, and he had like this long, slicked back um, you know, ponytail, not the dad buzz he has right now. Like, he looked really cool back then. And um, I was like, man, this dude looks awesome. And then after the service, after everyone left, Carlos didn't leave. And he was just pacing back and forth by himself in the back of the room. And I had this fear like, uh-oh, maybe the guy that I thought was cool is actually crazy, right? Maybe we're dealing with a crazy person. Um, but that wasn't it at all. What happened was is his life was falling apart. And out of desperation, he came to church. He, he knew he needed the Lord. We got him plugged in with Dan and Christy. They were, got in um, soul care together and then plugged into small groups. And the Lord radically changed his life. And now he is helping lead all of our volunteers, impacting this church in an awesome way. Uh, Ten years ago today, Alec, our worship leader who led you guys this morning, was a sophomore in high school. Think about that. And I was his varsity soccer coach. And so Al was kind of the little guy on the team. He was only a sophomore. He's playing with juniors and seniors. And he hadn't hit his growth spurt yet. So I gave him a nickname. And every time I talked to him, I just called him, hey, there's my baby boy. Right? That was Alex's nickname. You know, hey, my baby boy, how you doing? And 10 years ago, my baby boy has grown up. And he has a mullet now. So we're not sure what's going on there. But you can be praying for that. Um, no, but, I mean, just to see the Lord over the last 10 years, him get plugged into our youth group and um, give his life to Christ. And then God developed just an incredible giftedness in that young guy. And then a year and a half ago, I had the joy and privilege to marry um, him and Gracie and to officiate that wedding. And now we're partnering together doing ministry like over and over and over again. God has been faithful church we've seen marriages restored we've seen addictions broken we've seen baptisms we've seen salvations people sacrificially loving one another caring for each other in the crises of life through small group people growing and thriving in their walk with god the testimony that we've seen in our community church this is a movement of the lord what god has done through this ministry is way greater than the sum of its parts and so that faithfulness and that power that we've seen in God can give us confidence as we move forward into the future. 
Are things still going to be scary? Sure. But can we draw confidence in God's faithfulness? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, what God had this thing that he loved to do with Israel. And when Israel won a big battle or or when God did a miracle, like when he dried up the uh, Jordan River and, and Israel walked across on dry land, he would say, hey, Israel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop and I want you to make a memorial. And I want you to put some stones together and make them high so that when future generations walk past this area, they'll see these memorial stones and they'll remember my power and my love and my faithfulness. I want these to be reminders for you and for the next generation. So church, how many of us can honestly say that in our life we have witnessed and experienced the presence and faithfulness of God in our life? How many of us can say that? Hey, then we need to be looking back on those moments and remembering those, have the discipline to remember God's faithfulness because it gives us confidence as we move into the future. Okay, here's the third principle that's so clear, it's this. It's that our success will be rooted in our obedience. Our success in the future will be rooted in our obedience. Look at verse seven, it says this. It says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night for so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So so God makes it very, very simple for Joshua. He says, you wanna have success? Don't depart from the law. Everything that Moses taught you, do it. The, the, the words of the law, they need to be on your mouth. They should never depart from your mouth. Meditate on it and then follow it. Like, like honor your life or, or align your life according to my word and then you'll have great success. All right, I need you to look at me for a second because this is so simple and yet it's so important. Do you want to have a life that's filled with joy? Do you want to have a life that matters? Do you want to have a life that is blessed and impacts others, not just today, but for eternity? Listen, it's not complex at all. If you want those things, you need to know God's word, honor God's word, and align your lives to it. It's that simple. And that's why it has been such a focus of our church that we're going to hold high the authority of God's word. Listen, this is a theme throughout all of the Bible. Uh, King David in Psalm 1 says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. So what's the key to someone who's blessed? They delight in God's word and they meditate on it day and night. It is part of who they are. King Solomon, wisest man to ever live. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says this. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. It says at the end of the day, the most important thing, fear God, keep his commandments. He'll say in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in this text in Joshua, there's three things that God instructs Joshua. He says that the word of the Lord shall not depart from your mouth. Here's what that means. That means we need to know it. So, so church, look here. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that we open up the Bible and we teach the Bible. 
We never teach from anything other than the Bible. That is our source because we want to be a church who knows God's word. Then God tells Joshua to meditate on God's word. Here's what that means. That means we need to love it. To, to meditate on something, it's going from just our mind to our heart, and we're really starting to wrestle with, all right, what does it look like for me to apply this thing? Like, I don't want to just know what God's word says. I want it to impact my life. And these truths are eternal and they've been changing the world for thousands of years. I want them to change my life as well. And forgiveness is real and change is possible. And I want to get after these things. And then the third thing he says is do according to all that is written in it. And that means that we need to follow. That it's more than a head thing. It's even more than a heart thing. It's a foot thing that we need to walk out these principles, live them out, and act them. Church, is it easy? No. Are there going to be temptations to go the other way and to give up? Yes. Are we going to experience pain and suffering? Absolutely, because we're disciples of Jesus Christ who experienced great pain and suffering. But listen, is following God worth it all day? Absolutely. In 2 Timothy, there's a famous charge that Paul makes to a young pastor, and it's this. He says in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and the appearing of his kingdom. Preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. And if I were honest with you, I'd never really understood that passage till this year. I never understood what it meant to be faithful to God both in season and out of season. I understood ministry. I understood what it meant to be a pastor, but I didn't get the whole out of season thing. Like, like what does it mean to be faithful out of season? But church, can we agree that 2020s felt a little bit out of season in every area of life? Like, like it's been difficult and there's been disagreements and there's been strife and um, I'm not surprising anyone. Our church has made some decisions about honoring our authorities that we might not even agree with, but trying to do that out of honoring the Lord that hasn't been super popular. And it's funny, I had a conversation with a friend this summer and uh, we were talking about, you know, um, our, kind of our church's stance on remaining closed while other churches were open. And my friend, and he's a small group leader in our church, like we've had a long-standing relationship. We love each other, but man, did he disagree with our church's stance. And so he came and he just for like the first half hour was telling me how I was wrong. And you're wrong because of this, because of this, have you thought of this? And like he would punch and I would counter punch and we you know, laughed and had a good conversation. And um, you know, he said something that really encouraged my heart. He goes, Cal, he goes, I still don't think we're going to agree on this. But he goes, here's what I love about our church. It's very, very apparent that you guys have the conviction that you believe you're gonna do what's right, even if it's not popular. And I told him like, bro, I'm not here to win any popularity contests. Like if I wanted to be popular, I don't think a pastor would necessarily be the coolest job out there. And um, one of the things I love about our staff and our elders, there is a commitment. We're going to teach the Bible we're going to do our best to rightly apply it and then have the conviction to live it. So if you want to be a part of this church for the next 10 years, here's a promise that I can make to you. 10 years ago, we didn't have a 10-year plan, but we were committed to three things. We wanted to lift high the name of Jesus in worship. We wanted to hold high the authority of God's word, 
and we wanted to be a church that would impact our community for the gospel and love others well. And we are as fiercely committed to those three things today as we were 10 years ago. So that's what we're gonna be about and we're gonna trust the Lord with the rest and do our best to enjoy the ride, amen? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just uh, thank you for this time. I thank you for even just the, the privilege it is to um, gather together in person. And um, God, you're in control. We're not in control. And uh, there's so many things, even in the past year, that just we would have never planned for, but you have been faithful. And God, our confidence is in your faithfulness. You're a God who is unchanging. You're a God who is immovable. And we love you and we trust you. We are so thankful for all that you've done. You've done. And uh, we are committed to, to loving you and lifting your name high uh, these next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever you would give us. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.